Welcome to episode 45 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Do you host a conference or convention and want your attendees to feel that your event was incredibly valuable because of all the connections that they made? I work with associations and companies to design events that increase engagement and create a welcoming culture for all attendees, especially your first-time attendees. You know someone who might be interested? I would welcome introductions. On the Schmooze is a headliner on the business podcast hub, C-Suite Radio which is part of the C-Suite Network, a network of a half million C-level executives. They also have C-Suite TV, where right now a trending episode is a short clip about the family that created the amazing Squatty Potty. Check it out at c-suitetv.com. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest has been named one of the top five social media influencers in the world of Forbes.com. He earned that title by telling the truth about social media marketing with his signature sardonic humor, namely that companies are largely using it incorrectly and getting distracted by every big shiny object that comes along. In an era where everyone is clamoring to sell you their social media marketing kit, he has nothing to pitch on the stage, so there is no holding back. The stories about how we get it wrong help us get it right. He and his wife are an amazing team that are co-owners of Unmarketing Inc., and co-hosts of the Unpodcast. They're also co-authors of four best-selling business books, including their latest, Unselling, The New Customer Experience, which was named Sales Book of the Year by 1-800-CEO-READ. They also released the third edition of their first bestseller with a new subtitle, Unmarketing, Everything Has Changed, and Nothing Is Different. All this while caring for their five children, two dogs, and two cats. Prior to running his own business, he was a music industry marketer national sales manager, and professor at a business school. Now, he is solely focused on speaking at events for companies across a wide spectrum, from PepsiCo, Adobe, and Red Cross, the Cirque du Soleil, Saks Fifth Avenue, and Fidelity Investments. Please join me in welcoming Scott Stratton. Well, that was just a great intro. I feel like walking out on stage now. That was well done. Well done. Scott, thank you so much for joining me from Toronto. Um, Thank you. So, I want to just jump right in. I know my audience will be curious to hear a little bit more about you and your day-to-day, but this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? That's a funny thing for me is I don't think leader is a a self-given title. I, I think that a boss is. I think a manager is. Like, that's your job in the hierarchy. I just don't think leader has a... Um, a a corporate org chart, and I just think uh, leader lead, leading is a verb, and I think that you simply you only are a leader if people choose to follow you, right? Right, and if people if people follow you because you're their boss, and that's that's a that's a manager, mm-hmm. and people choose to follow a leader, and that's where leaders done by actions. It's not, uh, um, it's, it's things of, of, you know, show, living and working by example. It's taking a stand for things and having people say, I believe in that. That's how our marketing was created was trying to lead 
um, or give a voice to a, a different world of, of, of sales and marketing. And um, so I don't I don't think I've ever sat there and said, you know, <laughs> sat back here in the in our library with a cigar and said, I'm a wonderful leader. You know, it's just it's not something a title you think of, but you realize in what I do, you know, doing keynotes and, and, and writing our books, we 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 take a stand, we give thoughts um, and then if people choose to follow them. We get to lead them. Yeah, you certainly have uh, a following for doing that. Even early on, though, I mean, the fact that you're willing to speak up and take a stand, were there indications early on, like grade school, high school, that you were willing to do that? Yeah, I think um, I was a lead singer in a uh, a metal band in high school. So if you're willing to lead that terribleness, uh, you know, you can lead <laughs> anything. I could speak in front of a thousand CFOs now. I was in front of grumpy grade 11s, you know, <laughs> doing Metallica and Rage Against Machine and Primus. And uh, I I just, I, I knew I had the ability was was to speak in front of a room. I always had that, that talent or that lack of fear. Mm-hmm. And you realize as you go on in life that, the ability to hold an audience um, by speaking um, is actually a, a, um, a real strong trait of a leader. You know, most leaders you'll see can command a room. Yeah. And uh, uh, I just knew I had that talent. And so I went from there and uh, just even creating uh, on marketing when I started tweeting in 2009, when I decided to give Twitter my my full effort. Um, and I started tweeting my thoughts and about about the industry and about things. And, and I tweeted 7,000 times in January 2009. And uh, I went from 1,200 followers to 10,000. And I realized I have a voice that people want to follow. Wow, and yeah. just the, the sake of Twitter, of, of follows. You know, yeah, it's fo- yeah. Twitter's follow the leader, right? That's, really? how, that's how it works. And you realize, okay, I've got something that resonates and that people want to to hear. And that then leads to books that leads to talks and um, um i just never want to be called a thought leader that's a concerning term for me i didn't i never dawned i made up that in the bio thank you i appreciate that it's a, <laughs> i wouldn't that, want it i wouldn't want it endears me you. to you greatly thank you <laughs> i it sounds like you you did what most people tend to refrain from doing which is you saw something and you're willing to keep speaking up about it but Part of it was that you started to get people responding, right? Like if you had sent 7,000 tweets that January 2009 and it was like crickets, then there would be no four books. There would be no stage. So and, and I didn't f- know if it would lead to it. I didn't right. know if it would lead to it. I just said, I'm going to, I actually, it was, it was a conscious decision. January 2009, 30 days. I'm going to give everything I got to Twitter. And if it works, I'll keep running. And if it doesn't, I can bail on it. So it went in not thinking I'm going to build a, an empire. I'm going to lead on, on, on Twitter. It was I'm going to give it a shot. And I think uh, that's really healthy. I, I have to just sort of underscore that because now everyone seems to want this overnight success, which uh, actually you and I were talking about Dory Clark before we got on here. And Dory tells a whole story about how she's the you know 10 years in in making overnight success, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. how it works, yeah, right? right? Exactly. And and so, but everyone thinks, oh, if I just write this one specially crafted tweet, and it, which will be heard around the world, or this one video that will go viral, or this you know this one email campaign, or whatever it is, and it's like, well, that happens because you've said something of value that people want to keep hearing, and it resonates, and, you know. But you have to be first willing to put it out there, right? Exactly. Like, 
uh, and that's a risk testing. though too right yeah. and that's because if you have people who end up following you both literally and figuratively when they end up following you you're also going to get your detractors and you know the louder you speak the more people may endear toward you but the louder the the anger happens and so you have to be willing to you can't you know you can't polarize without the other end of it and that's what keeps people away sometimes from from kind of leading in a space is they they don't we 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 put out safe blog posts and safe tweets and i don't mean be a, a jerk i don't mean like just be controversial for controversial takes but taking a stand is saying this is what i think and i used to say what i think about twitter that i thought people were ruining it in 2010 by automating things and cross posting and people are like well who made you the sheriff of twitter and i'm like i did howdy you know, like it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it, you just, it's going to be your opinion and, and people connect to strong ones either way, you know, when you have conviction and I think that's part of, of leadership is conviction, but also the willingness to, to then readdress or rethink something that right. leadership doesn't mean necessarily, uh, you know, full out stubbornness that sometimes you got to sit back and go, maybe I can change my thought on that. Maybe I can change my my position on that when you have new information. Like that's, I think that's smart too. That's really smart. I, I think people dig themselves into a hole sometimes, right. especially online. I think online is, is fraught with that though because uh, it's not, I don't know, like the way I act online, I, th- I would never do get into these kinds of conversations in person, you know, politically or, you know, arguing about a point. Like I would I would never, you know, keep falling on the sword trying to like you know prove myself while at the same time you know make someone else wrong well that's a contrast though right this the, one of the issues yeah. in the past five six years though has been people are different online than they are in person and i think that that's a huge mistake where i've always from from tweet one from day one uh-huh. i've i was always wanted to be the same person on stage off stage and online and so when somebody talks to me uh, at an event they're gonna like oh you're exactly like i thought and yeah. that to me is that's where you get that transparency and you know authenticity that even though tweets 140 characters you could hear me say it yeah. and that's important because I've met people and you meet them and they're totally different you're just like it's jarring it actually hurts trust um, right. and don't get me started on your on your photo you know on the photo of your social media versus if it yeah, actually yeah, looks yeah 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 whether it looks like you right well, but it's a trust I mean also it, when someone when there's that uh, dissonance it almost feels like they hired someone to manage their social media presence. And that, and like, some do, and some do, yeah, yeah. Just, I don't think leader. I don't think you can lead by proxy. You know what I mean? Oh, right? Can, yeah. It doesn't, no. doesn't really work that way. So, what's been most rewarding about what you are doing now? You're speaking. You're you got this amazing podcast, um, which you, we'll talk more about. But so, what's what's been sort of most rewarding about all of this? I that I'm, I'm literally, with no fluff to it. I'm 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 living my dream. Like since I was 12, I wanted to speak for a living uh, ever since I saw Les Brown on a PBS feed from Buffalo across the lake for a pledge drive. If you donated a thirty seven dollars, you got the Les Brown motivational tape VHS. And I saw it on TV. I'm like, you can do that. That's the thing. And uh, ever since then, that was uh, I was locked on. That's what I was going to do. And the, the road is curvy and windy to get to this point. But I'm literally at uh, you know, 41 years old. This is this is, I, I, this is it. This is I, I love it. And you know, I'm sitting talking to you in the, our house that we bought because of what we've done, and that's awesome. I get to, you know, I met the the 
the woman sitting behind me through Twitter. Like that's the best ROI in history. Like you can't, nobody can beat that social media ROI. And it's, I get to speak 50, 60 keynotes a year in front of audiences who want to hear what I have to say. You know, that's, that's awesome. What's been the, the, uh, like the feedback that's really, you've heard from somebody like how profoundly it's impacted their life, you know? Has there been something that's really risen to the top that someone has either told you in person or wrote to you and said, wow, because of you? Well, I just got I just got an email um, 20 minutes before coming on the show of a of a lawyer up in Ottawa in Canada that says you change the way we do business. Because I read on marketing that the book, the like I I love the talks. I love the we had a, a millennials rant joke clip go viral two weeks ago on Facebook and got like 13 million views, which is great for the ego, but it's the books that really reach farther than we can reach and people will buy them and pick them up at the bookstore at the airport or something. And then they read it. And what, what it really does for a lot of people is it validates their way of thinking, which is like, I always wanted to do marketing, you know, going with my grain. You know, I was always told you have to do cold call this, this and this. And you really help validate what I wanted to do or what I know I can do better. Um, and that that means a lot. We have a one of the smartest things we did in the books is put in a an email address where in on marketing from the first one, it said, if if this book makes you say, yeah, out loud at any time, please email. Yeah. At unmarketing dot com. And I get that. It comes right to my phone and it's been coming to my phone for seven years. Wow. Like, that's cool. Like, that's what I that's what it's nice when you can reach because I'm, I'm, I'm limited in what I can do on stage because I, I can only be at one place at once. But the book goes out there. It's around the world on our shelf behind us there. It's not all in marketing books on the shelf behind me, but it's 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 there's a lot of them. And there's a uh, it's like, you know, the eight different languages it's been translated to. And it's around, we get we get pictures from uh, from Istanbul, uh, people with the Turkish version and stuff. And you just like you just stop for a second sometimes and go, is this really happened? Like, is this really happened where where this is what we've given to the world and it keeps going? That's cool. What's great is it will continue to go, right? That's something you worked really hard on. You created it, but now it's out in the world, and it just keeps being pay- paid forward and passed around, and that's that's really great, and it's very inspiring. I, myself and many people I know are working on their first book. So, you know, and everyone always tells you there's life before the book and there's life after the book. Right. And I think, you know, that's your testimony right there is, like, proof of that. It's so cool. I, it, nothing beats that. Nothing beats going to a store and seeing it on a shelf and somebody tweeting or putting on Instagram or emailing you that the, they've read it and it did something for them. And, um, you know, that's it's, it's unreal. It's great. So tell me about something that's been kind of challenging in, in doing all this work and and particularly how you overcame a challenge like that. Well, yeah, the, the even to be the the reincarnation that I'm doing now that, you know, I I ran a viral video company for years in the mid 2000s, and we were one of the most successful online video companies in the world. We got millions of views for client, pretty much slideshows before YouTube and before broadband. So we had to keep all the files under a Megan size, and like it was just ridiculous. The little loading, preloading screens, and but they did really well, like tens of millions of views for these things. And uh, uh, I, the recession hit, and I lost all of my clients. And nobody was in the market to pay 10 grand for a glorified slideshow anymore. And I didn't see it coming. And I literally went to zero. And, you know, the marketer who can't market himself. And I, but, but it, the reason was, though, I got lazy. 
I didn't market myself. I just, just sat back and it was just referrals. And I just never put, I didn't put any blog out. I didn't have a blog out there. I didn't do anything. And so it was still 2005, six, seven, but there's still places out there I could have promoted and forums and articles, but I just stopped. You know, I got cocky and the recession hit and I had nothing. It was gone. Um, that's one of the reasons I jumped on Twitter. I had nothing else to do. Like, right. It was, everything was done. So that was, you know, from the zero revenue one year and saying, I know I have this uh, because I had the, the name on marketing for the 15 years now for the company. And I'm like, there's, there's something out there with all these tools that you can build communities that you can connect with people virtually. And, um, so I just decided I've got to know this space better than anybody. And so I decided to live in it. You know, that was the best. I didn't want to give an opinion of something that I didn't know. Um, although we're we're all really good at doing that sometimes. <laughs> but uh, and that was so it was out of, it was almost out of desperation at that point. And uh, I'm just lucky we made noise and got the book offer and then um, did a 30 city 10 week speaking tour when the book came out. Which was, uh, I was always, I did my research about books and I knew book tours were a train wreck. You know, the, 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 the publisher wouldn't, wouldn't cover the cost and you would sit in a bookstore and show people where the bathroom was because nobody would know who you are. You might get one pity purchase from somebody, but that was it. And uh, I said, well, if I'm going to write a book about community, I need to be able to out in the community. So I put a tweet out in June 2010 saying the book is coming out in September and who wants me to come to their city? Uh, it's going to be, you have to pre-order 100 books, fly me there and put me up. And the reason why you had to fly me there and put me up is I had no money. <laughs> wow, I couldn't yeah. do it. And I got 30 cities in 10 weeks. And uh, Just to interrupt you, 30 cities means there were 30 people willing to coordinate getting 100 books pre-sold, raise or have the money to fly you and put you up somewhere. About 1,800 bucks in books. And then fly me there and put me up. And half of those events were people, individuals, who decided to throw an event. The other half were American Marketing Association chapters and social media club chapters. But half of those were people who were just like, I want Scott here because of the community I had built up to that point. Um, like that was mind blowing. And it was really the proof of concept, you know, that the years on marketing, stop marketing, start engaging. Let's see if the engagement worked. I spoke at a car dealership in Edmonton, Alberta with a hundred people. They sold it out because that was the venue that was free that the woman could find for me. And we all were there and I'm sitting around with Nissan Altimas around me and stuff and, and speaking to them. I spoke in a loft in another place. Like it's just, I spoke at BB King's bar in St. Louis in the basement. Like it was just, that was proof of concept. It wasn't profitable, but it was proof of concept. And I honestly, to be honest, honest with you, that I haven't stopped speaking since. And that's why I made it a speaking tour, not a book tour. That every event I was giving a talk. And when you came, you got a copy of the new book. And of course, the talk was based on the, the book concepts. But nobody would come to a book tour of an author they haven't heard of. But people would want to come to a, a, a talk, a session, a seminar about where we're going with digital or social media at the time. And that was interesting to them. So it was, it was exhausting and awesome. And it was taking a risk on myself that I thought this would lead to what I wanted to do. And it, and, and it did. 
That's quite the story. I, I, I also want to note that it sounds like it was about a year and a half from the time you got on Twitter to when you put out that tweet and how much you were able to do in that amount of time to build up that kind of loyal following. You know, they say if you get your, what is it, like a thousand true fans, right? You, you had them already. Yeah. And uh, that was, that was, but that was again, proof of concept proof of that concept. I, I, I never, I never sold anything to them. I had never promoted anything to them. I never shared a blog post with them. I just connected. Mm-hmm. And so when I had, when the time came yeah. to do that, the community wants nothing more than to support you. Yeah. That was huge. And it was a different time in Twitter, you know, back in 2009, it, it, it certainly, it was a different world. You know, when I jumped, when I hopped on Twitter, which was constantly when I hopped on and I'd say, Hey everybody, it would be like Norm at cheer. I'd walk in and be like, Hey, you know, and everybody would respond. And it was like, you showed up now. It feels quite a bit different, but, yeah. uh, and that's um, actually the year I joined as well. And I, I still remember how much time and effort I spent in trying to figure out what name I was going to have. And I ended up just you know going with my own, but, <laughs> but it was a lot of question about that. It's like, yeah, but this is forever. <laughs> I don't yeah, know why exactly. I thought that it's forever. This one Twitter name. <laughs> so one of the common struggles for someone who's striving for success is that fear of failure and being wrong. And, and you, you went through all of that with that sort of in mind, what's, what's something that you're not good at? You know, you, there's a lot that you're good at in the world, but yeah. what are you not good at and how do you deal uh, with that? Yeah, most things. Most things. I am great on stage. Uh, I am a really great air drummer uh, uh, on the steering wheel. Is that, that's awesome. Yeah. She, she'll back me up on that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a great air drummer. Um, I'm pretty good at Call of Duty. Um, uh, but, uh, and the show. You know, I love doing the show. But, um, at the end of the day, all the other work things, I don't, I'm not good at, I'm not good at administrative tasks. I'm not good at focusing on those things. And, um, we've had an assistant, she's called our coordinator of awesome. I've had her for almost 11 years. Um, I do not believe in improving my weaknesses. It's my part of my stubbornness and ego, but I don't believe in anybody improving weaknesses. I am, I, I believe in improving your strengths and outsourcing weakness. And actually, so finding the people that can do what I don't want to do better than me, cheaper than me. Mm-hmm. And I was very early on when I was still consulting was I, I, I had read something in a book. It said, you know, put a price on your time. And so at the time I put $200 was my price for an hour. And with what I was doing, I would not pay somebody else $200 an hour to do. Then I needed to find somebody else to do it. Uh, and so that's what I did. So I don't. So let, I'll give you an example of looking at wheat. I, I am. I swear I am the bottleneck of this company. I am the one if it comes to me, it's, it's just <laughs> and it just stops. And so when we decided to do the unpodcast, we've done 163 episodes now. We've done over three years of the show, um, full studio, uh, three camera shoot, audio engineer, everything. And uh, we do it once a month. We go and uh, film a, do a, a month's worth of episodes at a time. And from episode one. Episode one, I knew that if it was up to me to do the technical side of it, you know, the, 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 you know what I'm saying, right? The audio and the, mm-hmm. the tweaking and the, uh, even the uploading and sending it out once a week. I knew that's not what it's, so we have, uh, Wayne, who is our audio or is our producer. 
he does the recording, he uploads, he, he tweaks it, he puts it up. We have Adam at Atomic Spark who does all of our video and he coordinates with Wayne with the audio. We have a post-show notes uh, guy, James, who does the, the notes after the show and is responsible for the uploading and the sending it out every week. The only thing we do is walk into the studio, record the show and go home. You sound and that's like, because, that is because of, 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 of identifying weaknesses. You sound a lot like Pat Flynn from Smart Passive yeah. Income. I mean, right. he says it's the same thing. He goes in, he does his recordings, he puts it in the Dropbox, and it's taken care of. And that was why he was able to move forward. You, know, uh, you, I, have, you have to, because yeah. you, if we can't identify where we're the hole, where we're the weak spot, then we can never improve it. And I just knew from past tasks that this wasn't going to be something I was going to, I was going to do at any time. So I had to make sure that um, uh, we found and and find better people. We got to lose that ego sometimes and think we're the best at everything. And I think that's sometimes it's out of necessity as an entrepreneur, especially when you're starting. You don't have the budget to hire somebody. You don't have the budget right away to hire an assistant or something. So I started originally with virtual assistants. And I would just hire them, you know, piecework. I'd hire them. For, I'd pay them for whatever time I needed them to do something. Um, but now I don't I do not do email. I don't do – like this This interview was coordinated by Karen. Like so right. it's not something that I get – anytime somebody asks me they want to do something, I send them to her. Because if I do it, it's not going to – it's not going to happen. It's not out of not wanting to. I just know my focus. It's smart to know. It's good to know sort of what you're – well, also, I mean, honestly, with your business, there are certain things that only you can do. That's the thing we all have to remember as entrepreneurs. But even if we have a day job, there are certain things we're really good at that we're supposed to be putting all of our energy onto. And if there's other things that can't be sort of passed on to somebody else who can master them, um, then there's no bottleneck. That's a great way to resolve that. Got to lose the bottlenecks because then you have time to do what you do. You have time to lead. You have time to do your things. So I want to ask you about um, sort of how you balance all these things because it sounds like you're doing so many things. And it, it takes – I also imagine that – work bleeds into life for you there's no there's no real clear distinction you're not like walking to an right. office and then closing the right. door how, so how are you thinking about that and and, and what does self-care look like in in a world where you're always able to be tweeting as we all now know from our president <laughs> well the the thing for me is uh i really got it to the point where it was where i wanted it was when i stopped consulting that uh, people are like, you know, you know, I travel much. Like I have 50 or 60 keynotes a year, which means I have to go to them. Nobody's coming to my backyard for it, which I wish they were, but they're not. So I'm on the road a hundred, 125 days a year, which also means I'm home for 240 days a year. And, uh, it's when you're home is the important part. You know, and um, that's where when I stopped consulting, I didn't have to do that work anymore. It's a thing of privilege for sure. But I realized instead of going for more, 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 you have this endless pursuit of more was not what I wanted to do because you don't get the time back. You know, we have we have five kids between the ages of 10 and 19. And, you know, we want to be here when they still think we're very, very fractionally, very small fraction. Cool. Still, you know, that <laughs> somewhat maybe. <laughs> And I want to be with them. And you can't do that when you're just trying to do everything um, at, at once. Do you have any kind of practice that you do daily or something you're trying to incorporate into your life? No. No, I just, I, I just, I just, it's about being present, mm-hmm. right? Being there at the time. It's being able to sit at dinner and talk and uh, or play basketball outside or, you know, whatever that's going to be. It's, it's important. We have a, we have a wonderful life 
and um, the ability to be here today when the kids get home from school and we're both here, you know, that's it, that I get to run a company with the most intelligent, funny, best looking person I've ever seen in my life person in the world who's sitting behind me. Um, um, how can like, I don't need any balance, you know, I mean, it's my life. I just love it. And, but here's for me, and this is an honest truth. I don't picture anything as work. I've made it. So everything I do is passion and my joy. So I don't feel like I'm working and we're always researching stuff for the show. I have a running list every month of, of links and things to talk about. And not once did I ever say, Oh, I got to go find some content right. so we can talk about on the show. I love it. That's and great. getting on stage is a passion. I could do without a lot of the airports and planes. and But, you know, to keep grounded with that, I'll, I'll text with Allison. And I'll, uh, I'll listen to you know all the playlists I got on Spotify. I'll uh, FaceTime home. And um, I like that balance. If I was on the road 250 or 300 days a year, it's going to be a different story. But... I don't want to sing cats in the cradle in 10 years from now and, and, and wish I did it differently. And, and that's also a, a conscious choice to not then go for endless growth that I don't have a goal for this year to surpass 20% more than last year. Um, I'm happy where I'm at. I like to plateau now for the next 20 years. It'd be great. I think it would be. And something we all could strive for is the right. life that you're leading right now. You must meet I don't hundreds, if not thousands of people annually if not monthly, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in person even. Uh, and you're, you're keeping in touch with people. You're building your networks. Uh, how are you doing that? Like, what, do you have any methodology or is it haphazard like, that, you, that you manage to stay in touch with some people and that they, they continue to orbit in your world? Yeah, I, I made a, a, a real focused effort to cull my friends list on Facebook. That originally back in the day, 2010, you know, it was the great land grab. The more contacts, the more followers, the more friends, the more clout you got. Literally more clout, you know, with the, you know, K-L-O-U-T. And I realized if I'm going to, because Facebook was becoming irrelevant to me. I was getting a news feed of stuff I didn't care about, people I didn't know. And I don't, I don't say that to sound crass. It was just like strangers. And so I realized, well, if we see noise, if we see irrelevance, it's kind of our fault of who we followed and who we connected with. So I decided to call my friends list from 4,000 uh, and now I'm down to about 1,400. And uh, and that was one by one. Like I literally went through the list and here's the here's the evil trick. You know, you just go upcoming birthdays and you look at upcoming birthdays and then you if you wouldn't wish one of these people happy birthday, you take them off your friends list. So uh, now I realize when I log into Facebook, it's news from people I want to I want to see. And that's the, the real way I keep in touch with people is, is Facebook. And um, that's just for me. It's not a right or wrong for other people, but that's how I stay in that circle. Because then I want to see when people are like, well, why would you want to see what somebody had for dinner? I'm like, I want to see if a friend of mine went to a, a restaurant in Vegas that I love too. I love to connect on that. That's what friends do. That's what connections do. And that's important. And I'm a member of a couple of really good, tight, private groups on Facebook. That's uh, that's important. Uh, and uh, But that's how I really stay in touch. I um, I live a well, on the road. I live a very nomadic quiet, lonely life on purpose. Uh, and you know, I go, I'm, I'm the big keynote about engagement and then I'm in my room, you know, watching fail videos on YouTube. Like it's just, I, I, I don't go out and network a lot like that. I, I network with my family at home and, uh, once in a while we'll have, we'll hang out with somebody, but I, Facebook's my best way to keep, and it's, a, and it's nice cause it's an arm's length. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can be an arm's length away from most. And so you give your time to the people who deserve it and own it. And usually it's people sitting right beside us. Scott, since you go to so many conferences and conventions a year, uh, I'm writing a book about how to build your professional network through effective and inclusive networking at events like that. And I would love to hear any tips you have or stories of, of you know, what's felt like true engagement, like you really met someone and it clicked or any preparation you do before going to these kinds of events in order to feel like they're worth your time because they, it's an expense. It's a, I mean, it's sure. an expense of time and money. And a lot of people I think go without any purpose. They maybe get a bunch of business cards and then they go home, but they don't do anything with it. I call it stop wasting time networking. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're just kind of spinning in, in a, in like a hamster wheel almost. Or maybe unnetworking. <laughs> I wouldn't want to. It's like that's like Mick networking. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that to you. No. But so well, yeah. So I, yeah I, one of the things I do, one of the things I've always done for fifteen years now is I don't have a card. I've never had a business card, and what that does now it doesn't. This 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 practice doesn't work if everybody does it, but uh, I get their card, and allows me to contact them. And so I don't do a lot of events um, when it, for myself. So most events I do, I go for my sound check, I get on stage, I rock the Casbah, and I leave. So I'm not doing the event; I'm doing the talk. But when it's an event for industry, and I used to do them um, a lot, and I used to in the corporate life, I was did trade shows and stuff. Was it was not only that connection; it was the it was that you know, that quality game, not the quantity game. And some people think, well, it's like we wrote about it in marketing in the first book, right? It's like this whole hockey card thing, right? Need them, got them, need them, got them, got them. It's like a stacks of cards. You just flying through them. And I just think rather you get less and connect. And, and then the speed of it, like when I get cards from people, I would, I email them that night, you know, afterwards when you're fresh in the mind and connecting. But when I did events back then, one of the advantages you have now is you can research, you can go online. You can follow the group on LinkedIn or the Twitter event hashtag and see who else is there. You can reach out and look at the agenda and say, okay, well, I'm going I'm to connect with this person, whether it's a speaker or a sponsor or an attendee. And it allows you to do pre-research we could never do before. Right. You know, you couldn't do it. What, are you going to mail somebody a postcard saying you're coming to the event next month and I am too? It's weird. But, <laughs> uh, you know, events can be intimidating. I remember my first event uh, 20 something years ago, I was a college student and I was went to school for HR and I was going to the the 4,000 person national event and I walked into the luncheon, I looked inside and I walked out. I paid for lunch and I went to McDonald's. I'm just like, I know I can't do this. But then you realize most of the people walking in there are like, nope, (laughs) like they, they couldn't do it either. And I think as in a if to, to loop this back into a leadership thing when you become the comfortable person at the event seek out those new people the ones who are coming new that that are intimidated to to give them that helping hand you change the event for them and that's i think that's an important of leaders of associations and of uh, that's why you should have volunteers at the event helping you should have a first timer thing at events to help navigate it because that's I love the buddy system. I love connecting somebody to somebody else saying, hey, let me show you the ropes. I think that's important because they're so intimidating. They're so Most people aren't like me who will just talk to a tree if I, if I needed to, but they're, they're tough. So I, I have the good fortune of working with associations to help them reconceive how to make these spaces more engaging and, and inclusive. And 
I met you by going to the National Speakers Association Influence uh, 2016 last year, their, their big uh, conference. And I'm impressed by something they do. They have these VIP tags, which all the first timers are invited to put on, which is such a flipping of the script of like who would normally get a VIP tag. You, know, you have to pay for it or be a big deal in like, you know, corporate America. But no, they understand that every year there's going to be a huge percentage of newcomers and the more they're feeling really fully invested in the culture and welcomed into that culture, uh, they're going to stay and they're going to keep that association growing, particularly in a time where associations were stagnating for a while and like really trying to find their way um, with, with new generations and like information being available with one click and engagement being likes. (laughs) So, you know, we, we forget that like this in-person piece is so crucial. So I really like that. And I've now been sharing that with a lot of other associations. So now VIP tags are going to be flying off the shelves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stock prices are going up for the VIP tag business. Well done. So if you, had you, might, one... you might want to disclose your investment in the VIP tag industry by this point. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe I should start that. Yeah. Um, the name tag ribbon people should be calling me to sponsor. <laughs> so if you had the opportunity to speak to yourself when you were like 25 years old, was there any piece of advice that you would have given yourself to, you know, build a strong and supportive professional network, something that maybe you now know that you wish you had known then? Yeah, I, I certainly would tell myself that you don't know everything. That's a good start. Um, I would tell myself that the facial hair I was going for wasn't working. And um, as opposed to the majestic beard I have now, uh, I think, I, you know, I was by 25, I was, um, on the track to go where I wanted to go when it came to networking. I joined rise.com, R-Y-Z-E.com, which was the first actual social networking for business site. It's old school. It was really before almost LinkedIn that it was the first real go back and forth kind of social type of thing. So I was early on, I knew the value of networking and I knew the value, and this was the key here, but I, I knew this then, which is why I was doing it. There's of course an incredible value to the social media world, the virtual world. You know, I, built the business based on it, but nothing beats face to face. And it's not a substitute for face to face. It's a, an addition or an enhancement. And when you combine both, which is what was a cool thing about rise.com was the site created local chapters and I helped run the Toronto one. And so therefore I was running the event. Therefore, you know, if you, if you, if you have problems networking, yeah, help run an event. Exactly. Right. Because then you are already involved. Yeah. You're and then you're already, people and boom, you're already you. by, yeah. by default. It's actually a really great trick to to do it. It doesn't it seems counterintuitive for people who don't like to network or want to, but it forces you in there and it gives you an automatic interest. So never substitute virtual for in person because nothing beats it. But virtual helps then um, uh, keep the connection going between the in-person ones. That's really important. And I would tell that to anybody who thinks, oh, I can just do this from my phone. It's, it doesn't replace it. Yeah, no, no superhighway. No matter yeah. how vast and sophisticated will ever replace the art of the schmooze. Ever, ever, yeah. ever. So uh, when we run into each other again, uh, which I hope we do, what will you have feel like was a huge accomplishment this past year? What is, what, what would you say a year from now you, you achieved or accomplished? Well, we got the, the book number five coming out in October, Unbranding. And um, I, you know what? I, to, to achieve what I've already uh, already achieved is, 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 is the goal. Like I said before, it's something that 
um, you know, the goal is to are kid, the kids to be healthy and happy and um, uh, to to be better than they were last year. And then for me, I I don't have goals like that. I don't have a thing where I'm trying to hit this many book sales and this many talks. It's just I want to keep doing what we're doing. And because that's important. I, got, I find happiness is important and that fulfillment's important. So the goal to see you from a year from now is saying it was exactly like last year and it was awesome. So if, if somewhere in your future you start working on unnetworking, I hope we do talk because <laughs> all I'm trying to do is get people to unlearn these these scripts and behaviors. The, the problem is unnetworking would be a page and yeah. it would just be saying, stop being a jerk. <laughs> you know? like that's that's it. You know what I mean? Go see somebody say hi. Like I wouldn't I just don't have yeah. don't have sixty thousand words for it at this point. I'm working on it. I'm about halfway there. But <laughs> <laughs> better you than us. Well, so how are the ways people could follow you or, or learn about your work? Um, yeah, on podcast, the business show for the Fed Up. Uh, every Wednesday comes out, video and audio. So you can check that out in your favorite podcast platform. Uh, you can, uh, books are anywhere the fine books are sold, uh, offline and online. And uh, Unmarketing is the handle on most of the platforms. And Unmarketing.com is the site. So we blog once every 18 years. So, you know, you can see the freshest posts on there. And uh but the show is our favorite, you know, favorite thing to get out there. So join us anytime. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Scott Stratton. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One of the things that stood out for me was how Scott made a name for himself by speaking up and saying what others were thinking but dared not to say. His field, marketing, is filled with people sharing advice that non-marketers look at and think, that feels disingenuous. If that's what I have to do, I don't want to do marketing. And then Scott comes along and he spells it all out, starting with 7,000 tweets in January of 2009. His refreshing honesty and directness, his conviction that there was a better way That's what built his audience and made it possible for him to become a sought-after keynote speaker, four times best-selling author, and have 185,000 Twitter followers. My point? There are no shortcuts to building a following. You need to share what you believe over and over again. It's not easy. It's probably a bit scary. But that's how you build the kind of loyal following that Scott has. Of course, as he said, it also means you'll have your detractors. But if you're sharing your truth, just Pay them no mind. I also appreciated that for all of Scott's amazing professional success, he's grounded in his desire to be present for his family. As he said, he made a conscious decision to not go for endless growth. I know my audience is a mix of C-level executives and those still climbing their way up the career ladder. Something to keep in mind is what you give up as you climb each rung. If you're not careful, Your time will not be your own anymore, and any notion of a work-life balance will just be a joke. Decide for yourself what success would look like, and don't give in to the pull to keep climbing higher. Remember, you can't take it with you, so enjoy life while you can. And I wanted to underscore what Scott said about the importance of attending in-person events. We all need a reminder that life cannot be conducted entirely online through virtual connections. That's no life at all. Use social media tools to get to know the people you meet and hope to meet at conferences. And 
to stay in touch afterward. As Scott said, nothing beats face-to-face. Virtual is not a substitute. It's an addition or an enhancement. If you've been counting likes as engagement, it's time to explore the opportunities to truly engage with people in your field by connecting with them in person. Is networking an important but your least favorite part of your job? My coaching clients felt the same way. Through a combination of technical tips, accountability, and a bit of inspiration, I help leaders stop wasting time networking and start building great relationships. If that's what you're looking for, I would love to chat. Email Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. That's R-O-B-B-I-E at R-O-B-B-I-E-S-A-M-U-E-L-S.com. As a busy solopreneur and work-at-home parent with a toddler, I am juggling a lot of responsibilities. That's why I use Contactually, a robust CRM that's perfect for managing my professional network. I use it to help me manage my most important relationships and the ones I hope will become significant. As an affiliate for Contactually, they're offering my listeners a free 14-day trial. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit contactually.com slash invite slash muse for more details. That's contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot com slash invite slash muse, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. For your convenience, I'll have the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Just look for episode 45. And I would love it if listeners join the launch team for my new book, which will be released this summer. It's called Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. If you'd like to join my launch team, send me an email. Again, that's Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. And if you want to discover other business podcasts, check out C-Suite Radio at c-suiteradio.com, where you'll find On the Schmooze in good company with other C-Suite Radio headliners. I want to sincerely thank all of you who've already subscribed and left a rating review on iTunes. By subscribing and leaving a rating review in iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Will you subscribe and leave an honest rating review? Include your Twitter handle and I can then give you a shout out. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be asking, why does our body language at conferences and other networking events not match our intentions? Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.